Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I'm Scott Jones, your host, and today we are joined by another amazing athlete. And if you guys have listened to the show before, you know what it's all about. And if you haven't, you can find more at athleteonfire.com. The, the podcast is all about bridging the gap between amazing athletes, amazing adventurers, and amazing entrepreneurs, and the rest of us. And we're just trying to tap in, learn one thing from our guests, learn two things. But we don't have to learn everything that they say. It's just so we can take it and go do some amazing things on our own. And that's what it's all about. Uh, I'm excited. We have. A, I was just talking to her off, off air. Uh, I've only had a couple, maybe two or three female mountain bikers on the show and she is a female mountain biker and she's very good at what she does and she does a lot of other stuff too she's if you go to her website sonyalooney.com the first thing that you see when you hop on there besides her quote which is the best one ever it says be brave do epic shit secondly i'm not just in the bike business i'm in the empowerment business so we're going to dive all over the place from athletics to traveling the world uh to what it takes to get sponsors and keep sponsors as an athlete in this day and age it's going to be a really fun show so sonia thank you so much for joining uh i don't know where this is going to go but i think it's going to be fun hey scott thanks for having me really looking forward to chatting with you yeah and you're you're traveling a lot right now i know uh i know i just caught you after a big race down in south america how'd it go it was great. I went down. It's called the Trans Andes Challenge, and it's a six-day mountain bike stage race in the Andes. And I did it two years ago. And you think that you're going down to the Andes, and it's going to be summer and warm. But two years ago, it rained so much that they had to cancel like multiple stages in the race. And I was in a tent that was leaking for days. So I had some unfinished business there. And I went, and we did have one canceled day due to rain. But for the most part, the race was amazing. And it's fun, and there's great people from all over the world that come, and they have free wine and beer with every meal. So you can imagine the danger involved there. <laughs> <laughs> so are you a, are you a wine or a beer person? Uh, I like both. You know, I, I call I'm a self-proclaimed beer snob. Uh, I lived in Boulder for a long time, and definitely frequented the breweries. But one of my uh, sponsors is a winery, Michael David Winery, and. Um, I really love red wine. So now I have two vices, beer and wine. Um, but that's a good problem to have, I think. And, and now we have hundreds of people figuring out how to be a professional cyclist just so they can get sponsored by a wine company or a wine company, <laughs> <laughs> like everywhere. How how, do, how to get free wine. <laughs> so do you, okay, do you ride so that you can drink wine or do you ride because you like riding? Why, how did you get started in this sport? Uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think a lot of female professional mountain bikers weren't mountain bikers. Their whole life. So for me, I played tennis growing up and I wanted to be a pro tennis player and I loved and idolized Pete Sampras. And my senior year of high school, I got injured because I was also running and then I stopped playing tennis, but I did keep running and I ran my first marathon when I was 18 and 19 and I was going to spin class at the gym just to do some cross training. And that actually ended up turning into mountain biking because these guys from my work invited me to go mountain biking. And within three weeks, I did my first race and the rest is history. So I was, I didn't even know cycling was a sport and I was really excited when I found mountain biking because it's, it was the one that spoke to me the best. So where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay, so we have people listening from all over the world. Paint a picture of Albuquerque. What's the town like? What's it like growing up there? <laughs> uh, Albuquerque is in the desert, so it's a high desert. And you have pancake flat desert, but then you have these beautiful mountains called the Sandias, and their peak is over 10,000 feet. And Sandia means watermelon in Spanish because New Mexico has – 
the most incredible and intense sunsets. So when the sun is setting, the color of the sunset projects onto the mountains and they look like watermelons. So it's really beautiful. And then when you look in the other direction, you see these old inactive volcanoes and not very many trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, de very desertous. Uh, was a good was it a pretty good place to start mountain biking? Yeah, actually the trails there uh, in, the, in the foothills are very elementary. So pretty much anybody can go up there. So for me, starting mountain biking was not an intimidating thing because there, the trails were pretty easy. So I just went mountain biking for the first time and it wasn't a big deal and I wasn't really afraid. But, but now I live in British Columbia and if I was a new rider, I was intimidated when I moved here. <laughs> All right. So, so you started your mountain biking in Albuquerque. You said that the, the trails really weren't that intimidating. And uh, if you would have started up in BC where you're at right now, Probably a different story. Probably, you know, I'm in Colorado. Definitely a different story. A lot of people that go for the first time in the, you know, in the foothills and they go up 12, 1500 feet of vertical and they got to find a way down and there's technical stuff. Um, what are some tips for people who, who think it looks cool? Thinks, think it looks like a fun sport. Um, I'm sure more than anything, you're an ambassador for your own sport. So what are some ways to get people excited about it and, and trying it out? Right. So mountain biking, the number one thing people are afraid of is what if I fall down and get hurt? And I definitely understand that because if I look at a river sport like kayaking, I say, well, what happens if I like turn over in my boat and get upside down and hit my head on a rock and I drown? So, you know, it can be intimidating because you're afraid of getting hurt. But if you go out and start on the easier trails and go with somebody that's been mountain biking before, you can learn very basic skills and don't try to do too much too fast. So once you start learning how to do, you know, how to control the bike, how to shift the bike, how the tires feel underneath you. Then you can start figuring out, okay, how do I turn a little bit faster or how do I ride over a rock? So taking things in baby steps is the best way to get better. And if I can give you one tip, one key tip for technical mountain biking that will save you, if you're in a situation nervous or you're about to crash let go of your front brake and normally you will get to the finish you'll get through it and it seems so counterintuitive to let the front brake go but the wheels when the wheels are rolling that's what keeps you upright so if you let go of that front brake chances are you'll survive you know as a good example of that when i was a kid we used to uh well first of all damage all of our equipment because we we're idiots but you know <laughs> we'd build we'd build ramps i lived in florida growing up we'd build ramps we'd and we'd ride over them ourselves and then we'd get excited to push our bike over the ramp and all all the time like if you gave it enough speed if the front wheel if both wheels were moving it would go over what was whatever was in front of it you know and uh, i i i always um my wife is a pretty she's a decent mountain biker she's pretty good but when she does get nervous it's because she's tapping on that front brake too much, you know, and you start tapping too much and then everything tenses up. You just, the wheel wants to go over what's in front of it for, for people listening for sure. Um, what's the first, what is the first fall that you remember taking and, and how bad was it? Were you fine afterwards? <laughs> the first fall I remember taking was actually when I was about five years old, learning how to ride a bike. <laughs> and I was riding in this parking lot behind, you know, my parents' house and I was there with my dad and I went around a corner and I grabbed the brakes. And you know what happens when you grab the brakes and lock up the wheels in a corner is you go down. So that was my first crash that I remember. But as a mountain biker, uh, you know, the first, I can't recall any specific ones that stick out. But I remember getting like hematomas on my, on my outer thighs, like crashing on your hip. 
uh, the worst crash I've ever had was actually in Belmont Bike Park in Boulder. And for some reason, I decided that on my 26-inch hardtail, I was going to learn to start going off the, the jumps. And people just said, just ride off it. And I didn't realize that you needed speed to go off of it, just kind of what you were saying. And I ended up going too slow off of it, stuffing my front tire and crashing very badly on my face. And I had a crazy black eye. My cheek was huge. I had road rash on my face. I still have a scar on my shoulder and a massive concussion. So that's probably my worst crash. Not racing, not riding for fun, just like trying to go learn some skill that was way outside what I should be doing at the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, physics is a pretty interesting concept. Yeah, that gravity will get you. Yeah, man. that front wheel one is – you know, I was out um, just to talk Colorado mountain biking a little bit. Have you – I'm sure you've gone out to, to Fruta and Grand Junction area. Um, yeah. We were out in the Cocopelli Trails, and there's this, there's this little loop. It's called the Horse Thief Canyon Loop. Um, I think it's only like five or six miles, but it's like – tons of tons of slick rock and like little two to three foot little drops it's really it's fun it's not overly technical but there's some really kind of interesting spots there and i just remember going with a buddy who was just he hadn't been riding as long but he's very athletic but he wasn't a great mountain biker yet and he was just going off of some of these things too fast and i knew it was going to end bad and uh just like you he he approached a a, a little drop off and and uh speed checked right before he got on there and he literally did a, a somersault over over his handle bikes or his handlebars but if you slow down you can all i mean i think for people listening you can always get off your bike you can explore and experience a lot of the really cool trails out there um just by getting off your bike when you when it gets too sketchy or too too nerve-wracking for you like there's not a rule that says you have to ride over every single thing you see um and i think for people starting off that might help a bit um all right, so Sonia, th- I'm looking at your site as we talk. Th- there's so much stuff on it. It's it kind of feels like my brain, you know, like in a good way. You have your your mountain biking over to the left. You have your speaking. You have your writing. You have a bunch of sponsorship stuff on there. Uh, tell us what is your life like right now? Like how much writing? How much of it is um, relationships with sponsors? How much of it is writing? Like how do you break down your life in this in this world of mountain biking and, and empowerment? Yeah, it's it's actually pretty hard. Like, I don't really have a daily routine because there's so many different things that happen on a daily basis that it's really hard to have a routine. So last year, I kind of went off on my own and started managing all my own athlete sponsor relationships and trying to build out my writing and my speaking career even more than what it already was. But I found that I wasn't training very much. Um, for the first five, six months of last year, I was only riding eight hours a week. And that was stressful to me because I'm supposed to be a pro athlete and I'm only training eight hours a week and I'll still somehow eking out good race results from that. But I realized like, okay, I don't have any balance here. I need to make balance with training and make training a priority, but also find ways to continue creating content for my sponsors, continue trying to build relationships and, and just taking opportunities as they come. So kind of now I try and divide my time between planning the year there's like logistical planning there's booking all your travel there's talking with race promoters and finding ways that how you're going to help promote them and promote their race Um, and from there comes pitching stories to magazines and trying to figure out you know relationships that you can build with distributors overseas and then there's um there's the speaking part of it so my i started as a speaker because i started a, a clinic series a long time ago i called it a clinic series and it was called On Dirt, and it still is called On Dirt with Sonia Looney. And initially what it was was just a kind of a mentorship program where I would travel places and I'd call a local bike shop and I'd say, hey, I'm coming to town. 
let's promote this. And if people want to come ask me questions about anything related to cycling, I'm, I'm here for them. So, and I didn't, I didn't keep it to women only because I wanted men to come as well. So it was pretty cool because it's always about 50, 50. And sometimes there's even more men than women, but people would come and ask me quite all kinds of questions about cycling. And I loved helping people. But people always wanted to hear stories about my races and what and just it's kind of always just morphed into this thing of how what I learned from my races and people really seem to connect with that and connect with me on that level. So I decided to keep the the service aspect of the clinics there for people and I'm I'm happy to help. But I also now have half of the time dedicated to kind of just storytelling and just by telling my story. Um, I think people tend to want to do those things. They want to push themselves and try new things and, and do those things that maybe they're always afraid to do, but always wanted to. So the speaking thing has been great. Um, and it's, it's calling these shops, it's, ca- it's calling conferences, trying to put myself in situations where I get to go speak at places I want to speak at. So that's, that's a definitely a full-time gig trying to manage all that. But I got to do my first Ted talk last year and it was, it was local, it was in Kelowna, but um, it was in November and I talked about this race I did in Nepal and how to redefine success and failure. And then there's the sponsorship side of things. And right now I'm managing 20 relationships and I'm working with some really great brands. And my favorite thing about being a self-managed athlete is that I get to choose the brands and the product that I want to use. Whereas if you're on a team, it's more challenging. You have to use what they tell you to use. And most things are pretty good, but it's great if you're promoting something to promote stuff that you truly, truly believe in and that you get to build relationships and help with product development and marketing and all kinds of things with your sponsors. So I'm really lucky. And my title sponsors are Defeat Michael David Winery and I'm riding Scott Bikes and um, I have some, some other new partnerships with Jaybird headphones and cast helmets. So it's, it's, it's great to be able to learn things from these sponsors too. Like what are their challenges and, and what are their goals? And then you can learn a lot about what you're doing in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And if you guys are listening, um, of course go to the show notes, athleteonfire.com, but you can learn more at sonyalooney.com. And a lot of the sponsors she's talking about are honored partners. She's telling me, and I think this is interesting because a lot of the stuff that I do in the world of events and the stuff that I do online is very similar. Like I want to work with brands that I believe in, that it's not really a sales pitch. I don't feel weird about it because I'd probably use it or I do use it. Um, and I'm sure that's kind of how you go about it. But you're talking about a guitar company. You're a mountain biker. and You're talking about a guitar company that's sponsoring you. What in the heck was that all about? That's kind of cool. Yeah, it, it kind of caught me off guard actually. So I'm a little bit self-conscious about my singing voice and I think a lot of people are I'm happy to bust out singing in the car when no one hears but when people are listening I'm afraid of judgment and all those other things that people are afraid of but I realized I was afraid of it so I said you know what I need to put it out there because if I'm afraid that that's not good it's going to hold me back so I just took this little 15 second clip of, of just singing some song I just learned and put it on Instagram in October I think and this uh, company con- contacted me on there. They said, hey, you know, we want to make you a guitar. And I thought it was a joke. And the company is Ellie, Gita- <laughs> Ellie Guitar. Like, I-, I literally thought it was a joke. Like, oh, they're probably just trying to sell me something. So I, I contacted them, though, just because I don't like letting opportunities pass me by. And it turns out that they are a- they're an American company, and they make all their guitars custom in New Hampshire. And they- I'm their first ambassador. And the reason they wanted to work with me is they said, yeah, you know, rock stars are cool. And I said, I said, by no, by no way am I a rock star and my guitar skills are very basic, 
but they said, you know, we want to work with people that, that, that agree with what our brand believes in. And we believe in being brave and putting yourself out there and just being a good ambassador for life, not just for like mountain biking. So I was completely, completely flattered and excited and I'm really inspired by what they're doing. I mean, they are on top of what it, what it, on top of custom guitar making the guy, Patrick Wilson, he knows everything about every single type of wood you could possibly imagine for a guitar. He knows exactly how, how guitars are made and how any little thing influences the sound coming out out of that guitar and that's true true passion behind what you're doing that's cool you know i was clicking i just clicked on the ellie guitar thing and there you are you're going down some some slick rock or it looks like or some big flat rock somewhere <laughs> and uh you're on the the home page of the ellie guitar company that's pretty sweet i wonder if you could could you build a guitar out of uh out of a wheel with and, and make the spokes the the strings and then just put your finger there and make it spin and make some music could you do that uh i don't know i don't think it'd sound very good <laughs> <laughs> that's my dimension i was like can you make an instrument out of a mountain bike wheel that would be pretty sweet that would be pretty cool so awesome i, I love that you're man you're managing 20 relationships that is for anybody who's listening um just imagine hanging out and being a good friend to 20 people. That's what managing a sponsorship is like um, times a few because that friend is paying you usually in some way, shape, or form. So kudos, Sonia. Like if you figure it out or at least you're figuring it out, that's pretty, that's pretty sweet. Um, so I was listening to the beginning of your TED Talk, and you started you, – you went into the story about uh, some time you spent in Nepal. Um, there's an event – it was something about what was the name of the event the yak something chasing yeah the yak. Uh, the yak attack yak attack there you go um so you're talking about that event and how to redefine comfort and success um in different ways can you can you just tell us a little bit about that story the, the essence of it yeah so you know a lot of t I, I used to be a perfectionist back in the day and i was really stressed out when i try things because if you're, when you're a perfectionist, you do not want to fail at something. It needs to be done properly, and if you fail at it, then you're devastated and you're paralyzed. And a lot of times people don't even start something because the conditions aren't perfect to get going. So there's, there's been a, a number of milestones in my life that have broken me of this perfectionist habit. And now I would call myself more of an optimalist, and that, that term is by um, this amazing psychologist and writer, Tal Ben-Shahar. Tal Ben-Shahar. But as an optimalist, Jahari, yep, as an optimalist, you are able to get the best out of yourself without being paralyzed by fear of failure. So when I signed up for this race called the Yak Attack, and it's a 10-day race across the Annapurna Circuit in Nepal, and it's pretty cool. There's a lot of uh, Americans now who have gone and done this race, but at the time, I was the first woman to ever finish it. So I was afraid because I didn't know if I could finish it or not, and everything I'd ever done in my life had been predictable and I knew what the outcome would be but with this race I didn't know if I'd be able to finish so I was really intimidated and really freaked out because what if I failed um, so that entire fear of failing and not not finishing that race fueled me and kept me on my toes during the race and at the the, the key point of the race you go over uh, the world's highest mountain pass the wrong law which is about 18,000 feet I, th I thought that I had finished the race because I got over that mountain pass which was the hardest part and all I had to do was ride downhill and ride my bike one more day on a flattish course. So I thought it was over. And I go to ride down the backside of this pass, and I have no brakes. And I had to walk to the walk to the finish line that day, seven hours. And there's no bike shops and no way to fix the brakes. So in that moment, I was I, I started bawling because I'm like, I failed. Like I came this far, and I'm only 
I'm only going to fail now. And, and I may, I, I did all the hard stuff. And for whatever reason, I had a camera with me and I'm a little content marketing, little, little nerd here. So I pulled out my camera while I was having a hissy fit and took a video of it. <laughs> and <laughs> it's been really helpful to, to have that footage. But it was in that moment that I had to define what success and failure meant to me. And I said, wait a second, like success is I, I got started. I showed up to this race. Success is I made it over the past. Like the, to me, previously, I was defining success as getting to the finish line. And the finish line isn't always the thing that, that makes you learn the most about yourself or, or whatever those milestones are that you can define as success. So for me, whenever I do something, if, if it doesn't turn out the way that I initially thought it would be, that that's not a failure. Like failure isn't not achieving your goal in the exact way that you set out. Success is putting yourself out there and going for it. And usually when you do that, even if it doesn't turn out the way that you thought it would be, you are a lot better off and you grow as a person and your life starts to change whenever you look at things in that light. And the cool thing is I did actually finish that race after all of that um, because my good friend Jeff had gotten sick and he had to ride a yak over the pass and I took his breaks and finished the race. So, so that was pretty cool. And oh, then nice. I went ba- and then I went back the next year to do it again just to do it in a more graceful manner. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was what did it feel like riding at 18 18,000? Uh, well, you're not really riding, you're walking and walking. it's really slow so you start in the dark and you're hiking in the snow with your bike manually strapped to your back because you have to come up with this apparatus and I mean you got to be patient you want it you want to get to the top of that pass but you have to take it one step at a time and one very slow step at a time because you just can't move very quickly at that altitude Um, it's just physically impossible so yeah it didn't feel very good to be up there I wanted to get the hell off that mountain but it was definitely pretty (laughs) (laughs) how was that excuse me how was the um the whole process. I mean, TED is kind of a, it's kind of a viral thing. Um, I've had a handful of, of guests on that have done TED talks. How was that whole process? Did, did you enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, I, it was speaking of, you know, putting myself in situations where I'm uncomfortable. I was, I, I'm really comfortable with public speaking. I could talk to a, gr- a room of a thousand or 10,000 people and be really comfortable. Um, but with a TED talk, there's a certain format that they want you to follow. And it needs to be done a certain way. So that was different than what I had done in the past because I had done 30-minute to hour-long keynote speak- speeches for rooms at, of, of people for tech and startup and entrepreneurship and all these different industries. So the TED Talk, I had to kind of groom my talk. And I'm a terrible actor, so I was afraid that I would come across as being inauthentic if I practiced it and memorized it too much. So it was tough to find that balance um, but I was really glad I did it, and it was definitely a fun challenge, and I, it definitely made me feel excited and full of energy when I was done. Nice. Okay, so two things. Um, what are you most excited about in the near future that has nothing to do with mountain biking? I'm excited about my new camera. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got this – my husband got me this really amazing Christmas present, this Canon Mark III 5D camera. And that's like the nicest DSLR camera. And I love photography and I do all my own stuff for my, uh, my social media. And I, I just really enjoy the experience of trying to frame a shot, finding it and in, in the results whenever you're done. So this camera is now enabling me to take even better pictures. And it just, I'm excited to learn more about it because it's, it's a maze trying to figure out how this thing works, but 
I'm really enjoying that experience. No, yeah, that's cool. Uh, my my sister's a photographer. She's done. She shot with Nikon's forever, and uh, yeah, just I mean, oh my goodness, I, I have a nice camera, but that's next level, man. Like th- that will take you years to figure out how to how to use everything on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I love learning though. So it's I mean that sounds really dorky, but I do really do love learning. So it's just super fun to have this project in front of me, and to see how I can get better at it. And I have another. I have another question based on that. So actually, this is for you guys listening. If um if you guys are bored and you have a lot of time on your hands, go to sanyalooney.com and go to athleteonfire.com and just tear it up, man. Constructive criticism. We're talking about this off air. How we both design most of our our web stuff. And you know, I was telling I was telling Sonia, it's kind of like the chef thing. Like you make dinner for somebody and they think it tastes great, but you can taste all the imperfections in it. Um, I think web design and and the creative stuff is very similar to that. I think her site is very nice just to say that uh, publicly, but you guys go check it out, give her some feedback. Like we always need feedback on this stuff. Um, cause we don't use our sites as you guys do. Number two, uh, Sonia, the second question is what are you most excited about? Um, that has to do with mountain biking in the near future. Uh, I'm excited about a lot of things this year. I am riding a new, um, a new bike frame this year, Scott bikes. And, I'm getting into the enduro side of mountain biking this year. So I just got a 150 millimeter enduro mountain bike, um, the Scott genius. So I'm doing the trans New Zealand enduro stage race in three weeks and I have barely even ridden an enduro bike before. So that's definitely going to be a learning curve. And I'm really excited about that. What's the, uh, what's the difference Sonia, for people who have no clue? Oh, right. Uh, mountain bike jargon. So mountain <laughs> bikes, mountain bikes come with different amounts of travel. So the suspension, how much squish the bike has. So if you're riding cross country, which is kind of just like when you're not going off crazy jumps and riding on just trails, you're on a, a less travel bike, a lower travel bike, because you don't need that because you're not taking huge jumps and things like that. And you want a lightweight bike. But the enduro type of mountain biking is kind of the biggest craze in mountain biking. And you actually have to ride the uphill, which is different from a downhill bike. Those downhill bikes are the ones with like the huge suspension in the front and you can't really ride them uphill. So the enduro bike, you can ride uphill, and in the enduro races, you ride the bike uphill, but it's not timed, and only the downhill is timed. And the downhill is a lot more technical. It's not like 20-foot jumps like an like a downhill race, but there's stuff that's like the size of you, the height of you, and really steep, really, excuse me, technical terrain. So it's kind of the in-between of a cross-country bike and a downhill. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, so back to the things I'm excited about. Uh, I'm excited to defend my world title in 16 days in New Zealand. It's the 24-hour World Championships, and I won the World Championship last year. And uh, it's it's summer in New Zealand, so the Trans Andes in Chile was a good training race for me. And I've been training on my uh, my trainer. I have a Wahoo Kicker trainer um, when I'm in Canada because you can't ride outside. So I'm excited to go do that race. And I'm doing a race in South Africa called the Joburg to Sea in April, and I've never been to South Africa before. It's a nine-day, 900-kilometer race, and I'm racing with a really good friend of mine, Yuki Yakeda, and a mixed team. So that's going to be awesome. And then the summer, I'm going to spend most of the summer in British Columbia. We have, in my opinion, British Columbia has the best trails in the world, so I'm excited to just spend time riding here. Nice. Lots to look forward to. <laughs> you know, I, I heard lots of really cool things, but really all I heard was someone that lives up north bragging about going somewhere warm. Is that was that spot on or no? <laughs> uh, yes, that would be correct. My my tan is gonna be amazing in March. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I, I I've been interviewing this guy uh, Steve Segua. He's down in the Caribbean, sailing from island to island, 
but he's sharing a story from a, a trip he did uh, four years ago. He sailed across the world and ran into pirates, all kinds of crazy stuff. But every time I call him, he tells me what kind of fruity uh, island drink he's had, what kind of run he's gone on, how warm it is. And, uh, I, you know, I like, I love cold weather in the mountains, but, you know, when it's two degrees out every once in a while, it's kind of nice to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. when I, I was in my hotel room in Chile after the race, and they don't have air conditioning. And it was, they had a thermometer and it was 28 degrees Celsius in my room, which is like, I don't know, upper seventies, low eighties inside. And I was like, Oh, it's so hot. And I had to wrap a towel around myself in order to fall asleep like a wet towel. But then I said, <laughs> you know what? Don't complain. Cause when you get home, it's going to be cold. <laughs> that's awesome. A wet. Oh my gosh. That's a really good idea. When we travel in Southeast Asia, we would just find all kinds of ways to, to stay cool, but we never did the wet towel. That's a good. Idea. The wet towel works wonders. <laughs> all right. So what we're going to do, uh, to finish up, kind of quick hitters. Like I have some questions about some of your travels, some quick mountain bike questions, and we'll, we'll just kind of finish up with that. It might take a few minutes. All right, you've traveled a lot. What's what's the scariest place you've ever traveled um, where you just didn't feel safe the whole time? Is there Mongolia? Anywhere? Mongolia. Why? Uh, Ulaanbaatar is the capital city, and a guy that was there with the race during during before the race he actually got robbed and beat up and then this other guy was saying how he got just beat up in the street you know a couple weeks before so didn't really like the feeling there <laughs> all right what is uh what's the coolest story of humanity like meeting people in their home country and them just just showing aside that really kind of warmed your heart honestly it's watching the people in third world countries because they have nothing and you'll go through these really small villages and they come out to cheer you on and there's little kids in the street just like playing with a stick. And, you know, it's hard because you know that they don't have anything, but they find happiness without having a lot of stuff. And to me, that's the most touching thing. And it makes me get choked up right now just talking about it because we often lose sight where we live of the very simple things that we need to keep us happy relationships and I mean, and community, and, and that's really what you need, and like maybe a roof over your head and clean water. I mean, that's all we really need, and it gets really muddled because we start focusing on the car we want or the new camera we got or, you know, all these things that we don't really need to make us happy, but they're just there because that's the society we live in. Yeah, no, I love that. That's it's so true. Um, the Okay, wildlife, whether on a bike or otherwise, what's the weirdest or craziest story of wildlife? In your travels you know i've actually been with wildlife uh the most wildlife i've seen has been in the last six months here in british columbia i mean i almost ran into a moose the other day like in the fall and then i saw a bunch of bears by myself this year and that that moment's kind of scary because the bear runs away from you but you start thinking what if the bear stops running (laughs) You want to hear a you want to hear a creepy wildlife story about uh, a bears I've never shared on this on this was this a show on the show? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. Well, you were from Colorado. You you lived in Colorado. Did you ever ride in King Carroll Valley by any chance? Uh, no, I okay. did not. So on the foothills here in in uh, just west of Denver, you guys, uh, most of the rides are you know you just climb 1200 to 2000 feet vertical, then you do some rollers, and then you, then you descend. That's how most of our foothills are. Well, me and a, that's in a nutshell, me and a buddy were, were riding this trail that was going up, up this, um, this trail to the top, but it paralleled another one that was another trail that was about maybe a quarter mile away. My buddy got a flat, he was fixing his flat and I was just catching my breath, looking around 
and I look that quarter mile away, and these guys are just bombing down this this downhill section on their mountain bikes, and uh, I see this huge black bear literally 10 feet from the trail behind a bush just grazing, and these guys had no idea that they were that close to a to a bear. And it's just kind of crazy. Like, you, you see these animals, and you just, you know, half the time you don't see them, and they're just, they're there, you know? Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of animals, but I'm sure they've seen me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you always, you know, I always have my my crazy superheroes uh, imagination when I'm out in the woods by myself that these things are going to attack me and I have to figure out how to get out of the way. <laughs> too too many movies, Sonia. Too many movies. All right, um, let's talk about a quote. I know you speak a lot. People who talk a lot like quotes. They like mantras, things that they can fall back on. Do you have one that you really like? Happiness is a choice. Attitude is a choice. Those are things that I constantly say to myself because it's your choice. If you want to be miserable, go ahead and be miserable. Um, and you can, you have the power to change that. You can change any situation and find the silver lining in it. And I know some people get really annoyed with optimism like that, but no, it's the truth. You can always find happiness in any situation. What's the best book you've read in the last year or two? Uh, I actually, talking about happiness again, the best book I've read is called The Happiness Advantage, and my husband actually heard this this speaker talk at a conference, his name is Sean Acor, and he talks about how if you're looking for, if you're positive and happy in your life, how you'll find way more success than if you're negative, and he actually goes and speaks to all these different Fortune 500 companies, and in his book, he has empirical data from psychology about all these different studies on happiness and changing your explanatory style. And also he has a lot of data and stories from in 2008 when the market crashed, he had to go talk to all these high power executives about happiness in one of the worst times in our history, worst financial times in our history. So it's a great book. No, that's interesting. I, I haven't heard of that one actually. So I'll check it out. What's, what's your husband do by, by, uh, he's a financial planner, but he's also a really badass bike rider. Is he? Nice. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So you guys can go, do you guys ride together a lot? Yeah, we ride together on the weekends, and it's he's a perfect training partner, so I love it. I'm really glad we can share that and uh, do do it together. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, um, people are listening. I, I love to give them something to go try physically. Do you, do you have like a challenge, a fitness, or, or specific to your sport that people can go give a shot? I would say find that technical feature on the trail that doesn't terrify you but that scares you a little bit. And go session it. Go ride it over and over and over until you're completely confident. And then next time you come to that section, you'll feel really good and it's more fun. So that's what I would recommend doing. Do you, do you think that's something that – I think for mountain biking, it's just specific to that sport. But people will go over this one spot that's really scary. They never really master it. And every single time you kind of ride up to it, you feel your heart rate increase and you just get the anxiety where if you can just if you would go session it it would it would eventually just kind of go away from the practice of it yeah and i mean the feeling of of mastering something not, not just in mountain biking but mastering anything that's a, a challenge is really rewarding because it's it's really easy to say yeah i actually have mastered this it's easy to measure absolutely Awesome. So what are a couple of things you'd like to share uh, with the mountain biking community and the future mountain biking community? Because I, I know um, for me, it's kind of important for, for athletes to share the last thing to, to make the connection to people. So what would that be for you? Uh, with the mountain biking community, uh, first of all, I'd like to say that you don't need to race to make a difference. 
I love racing my bike, but just being nice to people and being a good ambassador for the sport, going out and saying hi and connecting with people. And if you hear somebody that's interested about cycling, getting them, helping them get started into the cycling, it changes your life and it's such an amazing sport. So just, just being nice to people and being helpful and being open um, makes an enormous difference. Are there, are there a couple online resources that would be a great starting point for people who have heard what you're talking about and just want to check out and learn more about the sport? Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, I would try and find local people in your community. So start by talking to your bike shops, look for ride groups and stuff, and then you'll meet friends in those ride groups. Or go to Facebook pages, go to forums. There's ways to, to connect with people. Like MTBR has a great forum. Pink Bike has good forums. Um, the great thing about social media now and the way that the world is is that in mountain biking or cycling – most people respond to you. So if, if there's somebody that you think is a really cool cyclist and you want to reach out to them, they should respond to you. And that should be the expectation. So reach out to them and, and ask them questions and connect with them. And I'm sure they can help you go where you want to go. And, you know, I'm more than happy to help anybody if they want to send me a message on Facebook or through my website or, or Twitter, Instagram, whatever. I'm really happy to, to talk to you and help you move forward in your cycling life. Awesome. Well, Sonia, thank you so much for taking the time today. I learned a lot. I really appreciate the time you took. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, and yeah, hope to meet some of you guys out there who are listening. Awesome. You guys, go check it out. It's sonyalooney.com. All of her social media is in the top left-hand corner right when you get to the site, so I don't have to share all that right now. I'll put all of the stuff that we talked about on our show notes, all the links, uh, link to the World the world Championships in New Zealand coming up. She's going to be sharing a lot of stuff via social media, I'm sure. And uh, you guys were inspired by and listening to another amazing athlete on fire, Sonia Looney. I'm Scott Jones, your host. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Athlete on Fire. Stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com.